And so, Father, today, God, would you open up our hearts? Would you open up our eyes? Would you open up our ears to have spiritual ears, to have spiritual eyes? God, that you want to do something in these last days. I believe you are waking up a remnant of people in these last days who are hungry, who are thirsty for a move of God in this generation. And so, Lord, may it begin with us. May we have the heart for personal revival fire. Lord, may it burn God, on the inside of us once again in this generation. Somebody said, amen. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 16. I want to talk to you this morning about the majestic glory of Jesus. The majestic glory of Jesus. And it's the story of his glory. And what if everything you believed was fake? What if everything that you, you held to, the convictions you hold to, what if everything you believe was fake? You know, I think it was in 1998, way back when, they made a movie called The Truman Show with Jim Carrey. Anybody remember this? And, and he's going throughout his day, and little does he know, he has his own pursuits, he has his own dreams, his own ambitions, but little did he know, everything was fake is in his life. Everything he was living for, he thought he was living for himself, thought he was doing things for himself and had dreams and ambitions, but he was really living for millions of TV viewers and a director around, you know, around the world. And uh, you think about that in your life. What are you living for? And you know, there are those they th that think they have life figured out. They have dreams, ambitions, they have pursuits, they have things they want to do. And some people, uh, you know, deny God and uh, they live for that. They live according to whatever belief or conviction they say society tells them to or something they've made up themselves. Some deny God, they are, some deny there's a Jesus. And so they have to figure life out on their own. They determine what they live for. And then there are some others that are called Christians. And they believe in this Jesus. And they have a view of God and a view of Jesus they believe is right. And they order their life according to some convictions and beliefs, some more stringently than others. And they interpret whatever they, their view of life is, whatever their purpose of life is, whether you believe in God whether you believe in Jesus or whether you don't, you have made some sort of convictions, some sort of belief system that you order your life according to. And the problem in today, even in the American church, is that we have to come to a true view of who Jesus is. You have to have a true view of who Jesus is if you want to order your life according to right convictions. So for instance, what if those convictions are wrong? You know, if the Bible is true, that means that Jesus actually is the Son of God. If the Bible's true, it means that He actually came in power once and that He's going to come in power again. And if the Bible is true, it means that He was raised from the dead and that everyone in the last day will be raised from the dead when they hear His voice and that just as He came once to save the world, He will come again to judge the world. If the Bible is true. The problem today, I think, in the American church specifically is there is a fake and false Christianity. What do I mean? Is that while we believe in this story, we have failed to behold His glory. 
It means that we, uh, many Christians in the, in, the, in the church today, we believe this as if it was a fairy tale or a fable or something that we heard from way back when, and it doesn't really have relevance in much of the modern church today according to the principles and the convictions that we see evident today. It means that if Jesus is really true, how would you actually live your life? If the Bible was truly true, if Jesus was really God, if he was really coming back today, would we look and act the way we're acting today across the globe, across the American church? I think uh, many people today are, treat Jesus as a fairy tale, as a legend, as a fable. We can say we believe in him, but does it have real relevance? You see, are our convictions true according to who Christ really is? I think there was a generation ago that many were touched by the word of God, but that touch has kind of faded away. It's a story many cling to now in the duty of religion when many people once beheld his glory in their heart. In the American church, we had times and seasons of refreshing when we would weep in the altars, we would uh, shout for joy in worship, we would spend time laboring in prayer, we would serve willingly and gladly. And now, across the American church, I talk to pastors all the time, where it seems like the energy of the American church is so dry, so sapped out of us, it's like we just have to muster enough energy just to maybe, perhaps, attend church this month. Where's the longing for the glory of God. If the Bible is true, if Jesus is who he says he is, do our convictions match our Christ? I don't wanna just believe some story. I wanna behold his glory. That's what I wanna talk to you about. I don't wanna just believe some story. I want to behold the glory and the majesty of Jesus. And I think that's what we need in the American church today. It's not just to follow some story, but to pursue his glory. And look with me in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. That's exactly what Peter was talking about to his church. Peter is about to die in a few years and he is speaking to a persecuted church uh, that, uh, in Asia Minor modern-day Turkey, and he knows his time is short, and he's writing uh, really his, his, his last legacy, his last witness, his last testament, and he writes this to them, and there was a, a movement of fake and false Christianity. In this day, there were some Jews who neglected the traditions of, uh, neglected the word of God in the scripture, and they made their own traditions. And there were Gentiles in the church and Gentiles in the world, non-Jews, who believed in myths and fables of ancient Roman gods and ancient Greek gods, things that were fake and false. And then there was a question whether or not in this, this generation, as people were born into the church, as people were hearing the, the story of Jesus secondhand for the first time, they're saying, is this really true? Is Jesus who he says he is? Is it possible this is just a legend? Is it just a story? Is it just a fable? Is it just a myth? And here's what Peter says to that generation before he dies about if you are living your life according to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There will be a conviction and a pursuit of the glory of God. And look what he says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. He says, For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power, somebody say power, 
the power in the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were actually eyewitnesses of His majesty. For when He received honor and glory from the Father, such a declaration as this was made to Him by the majestic, look at that, the majestic glory. And it said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this declaration made from heaven when we were with Him on the holy mountain. And so we have the prophetic word made more sure. Somebody say, more sure. More sure to which you would do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. But know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture becomes a matter of one's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. But men who were moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. He said, I'm not just telling you a story. I beheld His glory. This is not just some story about some guy who did some good stuff and maybe perhaps did some miracles or not. And maybe or maybe not this thing is true. But if you have a revelation of Jesus Christ, it's a revelation of glory. It's His majestic splendor. And Peter says, I was an eyewitness to this. Let's go back and, and you can look in Luke chapter 9, verse 28, because I want you to read the story that Peter is talking about, something that so moved him that years and decades later, he says, this moment in my life was probably one of the grandest moments I've ever had, ever seen, because it was the day I beheld his glory for the first time. And as an old man, he's writing back about that very day. And, and Luke has a good interpretation of it. In Luke chapter 9, verse 28, he says, it was eight days after these sayings. And he had taken Peter and John and James and he went up to the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face became different. It means metamorphosized like a butterfly, you know, that, that moment. It was, it was metamorphosized and his clothing became white and gleaming. One, one version says it was like lightning. And behold, two men were talking with him and they were, with Mo, they were Moses and Elijah, who also appearing in glory or radiant splendor were speaking of his departure, which he's about to accomplish at Jerusalem. And now Peter and his companions, they had been overcome with sleep. But when they were fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. And, and as they were leaving him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let's make three tabernacles, one for you and Moses and for Elijah, not really realizing what he was saying. And while he was saying this, a cloud formed and began to overshadow them. And, in, and if you look in the original, it's, that's the Shekinah glory of the God, that cloud that descended with Moses on the mountain. And they were afraid as they entered the cloud. Man, can you imagine? The cloud of God just enveloping you. And it says, and then a voice came out of heaven, out of this cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And Matthew would add that they fell face down. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was alone. And they kept silent, reported to no one. I want to tell you three things. Number one is listen to him. Listen to him. There were people who were questioning whether or not this is true. They were living like this was fake. They were living like this was just some story. And Peter is writing to a new generation of believers who, if they don't wake up to the glory of God, are just going to start living according to some story. They're not going to be living according to the true convictions of who Jesus Christ really is. They're going to live like it doesn't really matter. Much like I see today in America, that's what we're doing. We're just following some fable, some fairy tale, some legend, some religious works. He says, but no, there was something I heard that night. I heard a voice come from heaven. 
And you can think about it in John chapter 1. John was there, John the Apostle, and John said, uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. In the beginning, God and the Word were together. And, and he, he's like, man, can you imagine? This was the Word of God from the beginning of time who was manifest with God. This Word of God came to the, to the world and walked among us and He talked among us. And there on that mountain, we heard the Word of God speak audibly. And it said, listen to Him. Listen to Him. Peter says, you know, you can doubt the Bible all you want, but whether it be the Old Testament, the Old Testament prophets, they were men who were moved by the Holy Spirit as the Word of God spoke. God's been speaking from Genesis to Revelation. God has been moving through men of old and ancient times and everything the Old Testament said prophesied about Jesus Christ. And when Jesus, the Word of God, came, He fulfilled all the words that had happened in the Old Testament. And that Word is still speaking today. Peter says, through me and through his apostles, and I'm a witness of this Word, that this Word has been speaking to man since the very beginning. And it says, I love you and I have a plan for you. And that plan is sending you my Word. Word, which is Jesus, my son, and he's going to die on a cross for you, and he's going to speak into your life, and when he speaks, light illuminates the darkness, and the darkness doesn't comprehend it, and when he speaks, he is the life and the light of man, and he takes old dead things, and when he speaks into your life, man, there's something new, there's something alive comes to be, and he says, listen to him. Can you imagine in the, in the baptism moment? The dove comes down on Jesus and he says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Then Jesus goes on and Peter and the apostles would have known about that. And he gets up to the mountain and he basically says the same thing. I love how God just says, hush, Peter, listen. <laughs> Peter, I want to do something for you, God. Hush, Peter, listen. Listen to the word of God. God's word is clear, but are we listening? Have our lives gotten so busy and so loud and so hectic that we're failing to hear what the Word of God is saying today. That's what happened in Jesus' day. That's what happened when John the Revelator wrote at the very end. He says, what is the Spirit saying to the churches? Do we have a revelation of what God is wanting to do in this day and hour? Are we awakened to the voice of God? Can He speak to you as you sleep at night? When you get up in the morning, is God's Word illuminating your heart? Is He bringing life and light to you? Can you hear Him whispering to you in the night watches like the Bible says? And David says, when I meditated on Him, man, I just heard His voice. It's a voice. You see, the same words that said, let there be light, the same words that spoke the Ten Commandments to the mountain, at the mountain with Moses. The same words that whispered to Elijah in the cave. The same words that spoke to David in the pasture. The same words came in John the Baptist and moved him to the wilderness. It's the same words that said, be healed. And thousands were healed. It's the same words that said, be gone. And thousands of demons fled and trembled. It's the same words that said to Tabitha, arise. And little girl, arise. It's the same words that said to Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus came forth. It's the same words that said, Deny yourself and follow me and I'll make you into something. Or believe me or do not fear or abide in me and I will be with you. Those are the same words. The same words that, listen to me, the same words that uphold the stars tonight are the same words that said deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. 
But do I equate the authority as just something of a story told by some man? Or is it the glory of God speaking to us that says, believe on me and you'll be saved? Pick up your cross, follow me, turn the other cheek, love other people. Go make disciples of all nations. Do you equate the weight of those words to the words that hold the sun, that hold the stars, that spin the earth, that establish creation. That's the same Jesus. The same Jesus who spoke this world into existence said, I'm coming to die for you. Pick up your cross, follow me, go make disciples, be my church. You see, I think we've been following some story. You see, the ancient ones these mighty men of God of old, Peter says, they were moved along. Literally in the Greek it means they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, which is the breath of the word of God. Is his word carrying me along? Is it moving me because I'm listening? God, we're listening to you. Holy Spirit, speak because we're listening. He says, Peter, listen to him. Tell this generation, listen, listen. Number two is behold him. You see, Peter and the disciples had fallen asleep. I love that. They had fallen asleep and they were about to miss the glory of God. They are falling asleep and they happen to stir themselves and they look and they say, wow, what happened? He's been talking to Elijah and Moses. We were asleep and they see Elijah and Moses walking away and they're like, wait a minute, let's, let's do something. Let's build something. I wonder if we're also asleep today. Maybe we were asleep. I remember what Paul says in Ephesians. He says, for this reason, it says, awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ's light will shine on you. And that's what happened to them. They were asleep, and they woke up, and they began to see his light. And look what it means, this majestic glory. It says, they saw his majestic glory come in power. Power there is dynamic, supernatural power. And they saw his majesty. Majesty means grandeur and greatness and superb magnificence and glory. They saw his glory, and glory is the literal splendor and light that emanated from him. Glory is the radiance of his divine being and his nature. And it says his faith shone like the sun, his clothes are whiter than bleach, and it was flashing like lightning. And they said they saw the coming of his presence. And it wasn't just a, an idea that he was coming then, but this is the same presence that would come later. This is the same way that John would see him in the cave uh, in Patmos. He said, I would see one, and I heard his voice, the sound of many waters, and his eyes uh, were like a flame, and his hair was white as wool, and his feet were a, braze of, a blaze of bronze. And when he spoke, I fell as a dead man. You see, the way Jesus came the first time on that mountain is the way he's going to come again the second time. And John says, every eye will see him, even those who are pierced him, and we will behold him. Behold, the Son of Man is coming on the clouds in glory. You see, you have to behold his glory. This is not the Jesus of baby in a manger any longer. This is not some Jesus still on the cross crucified. He's not just some story in a textbook or some religious example that some people pay money into to keep a little rotary club alive. This is the glory of God who has come once and he's coming again. And if you believe it, you'll order your life according to it. There is a conviction that he is Christ that must order our life. If you believe it, walk like it. If you believe it, follow after it. You have to behold him for who he is. You see, if his word is just some story to you, 
If it's just some story. Look what Moses said, show me your glory. Spurgeon said it was that night that Moses' prayer was fully answered. I love that. Moses had prayed many years ago, thousands of years ago. God, I don't want to go anywhere. Show me your glory. And Moses only saw it from the behind. He saw, he put in a cleft in a rock and God walked back. He never got to see fully in his life that full revelation of the Jesus Christ and his glory. Spurgeon said it was on that night where he saw God's son who had sent to the earth come up that mountain and Moses finally saw the glory of Jesus. Man, how we need to elevate Christ in the American church. He came in glory, he's coming back in glory. And I can't go to that mountain with Peter, but I can go to a place called Mount Calvary. I can see him lifted up on a cross, drawing men to himself. I can see him as the word who is still shining lights today. The Bible says that his word is a lamp into my feet, a light into my path. That his word, as I look and I read it and I meditate on Jesus, he can still light up the darkest heart. He can still bring order out of chaos. He can still give life to dead places. That his word is still shining, still working. He's still radiant as he was there on that night. And maybe I can't go to that place physically, but I can go to that place spiritually. Lastly is worship him. I have to listen to him. I have to behold him. And if I do those things, I'll naturally worship him. You see, I love that as they were trying to respond to this living, majestic, glorified word of God, Peter got so nervous, he said, oh, 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 oh let's, let's build something. Let's build, let's build three churches. That's what we got to do. Let's make three. We already have enough churches. But three churches, one for Jesus, one for Elijah, one for Moses. There you go. Denomination started right then. Three churches. Let's build three tabernacles, three temples. And God says, hush. <laughs> and they fell as dead men. You why? You see, because it was dead works. There's a Christianity that makes his glory not so grand because it makes Jesus ordinary. It tries to appease God with religious works. It says, what can I build God with my own hands? Meanwhile, what we try to do is divide our life between secular and sacred. I can come to church and worship the glory of God. I can go and build my life how I want it with my own hands. I can appease God by compromising on what I watch on TV, and as long as I put some money in the offering plate and show up a couple times a month, man, then I'm good with God. You haven't beheld His glory, sir or ma'am. Because when you fully behold His glory, there is no part of you that is not given over to Him as a dead person. Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live in the flesh, but I live in faith for the one who died and gave Himself for me. That when I see Him for who He is, I cannot offer anything but my whole life-encompassing worship. He said that, it, that our life's response is to be a living sacrifice in Romans. 12. That's our only reasonable type of worship you could ever give. You can't build nothing for God. You can't appease God. You can't give anything to God but your entire self for He is worthy of more than you could ever hope to comprehend to give. And so we just give Him worship. Everything is sacred 
in the Christian life. There is no one part of you that you can say this is a holy activity and this is my normal life. Everything is sacred. Everything is holy. The problem is we still think we can keep our lives and do something good for God. When you see him, even the most holy Isaiah said, Woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips, and he fell as dead. When Paul said, We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, this is what he's saying. When you behold his glory, there's nothing that compares. And I look in that glory and I say, Wow, there's nothing good in me that is in my sinful nature. And so we fall and we repent. And then we give our life in worship. You see, there is a religion of dead works and there is a religion of living worship. Look what he says in verse 19. He says, you'll do well. I want to do well. He says, you'll do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. We know Jesus is the morning star. You remember uh, if you go out and, I mean, many of you, you have fire rings, you have bonfires. How many of you, you just, you know, there's something about sitting around the fire and it's just captivating. I don't know, maybe it's just a guide thing. But when the fire's there, I don't care what's going on, I don't need a phone, I just sit there and just watch the flames. I don't know, the light, I don't know what it is. There's something about a fire, you just, you just zoomed into it. And he says, You'll do well to zone in to Jesus. You'll do well to be caught up with Jesus like a lamp shining in a dark place that all you can see is everything he illuminates in your life. All you can see is him. He's the only thing shining in your life. He's your only pursuit. He's something that is mesmerizing to you. And he says, until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your heart. See, that means that worship starts here on this earth right now in our hearts before you ever see him come in glory. You need to see him come in glory right here, right now in your heart. Because only those who are looking for him now are the ones that are going to see him come then. When the trump sounds and the dead in Christ arise first and then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with him in the cloud, we will be together with the Lord for always. And it's only those who are expecting and watching. That's what Jesus says, watch and pray. Will the Son of Man find faith on the earth for those who are watching and praying for him to come? Many people missed his first coming and many more will miss his second coming because they failed to behold him and believe him for who he is right here and right now. And if you believe he's the word of God, then we should listen to him. And if we believe he is who he says he is, then we should behold him. And if he is who he says he is, if he came once and if he's coming again, then we should worship him. And we can't keep dividing our life between secular and sacred. We can't keep compromising to just follow some religious story, trying to pay God off so we can get out of hell. Man, if he is who he says he is, he is worthy of your entire life and being. Behold him. Behold him. His majestic, radiant glory. And I'll close with this. This is what Spurgeon said. He said this should be the single desire of the Christian. 
He says, I take you should not have even 20 wishes, but only one, that you may desire, if you are to see your family brought up well, but only that it should be for the glory of God forever. And you can wish for your business to prosper, but only so far as it should help you say, to him be the glory forever. And you can desire to attain more gifts and more gracious graces, but it should only be to say, to him be the glory forever. And this one thing I know, Christian, you are not acting as you ought to do when you are moved by any other motive than the one motive of your Lord's glory. Are we living something fake? Are we following some story? Are our convictions according to Christ and who He really is? I don't want a Christianity that is self-loving and self-focused. I don't want a Christianity that divides between secular and sacred. I don't want a Christianity that makes His glory not so grand. I don't want a Christianity like Israel when Moses was up on the mountain beholding him, that we were making some kind of image for ourselves down here, lower, less than, something that we could control and make it to what we wanted. I want to be like one of those few people that went up on the mountain with Moses and they saw God, even if it was from a distance, those elders and those leaders in Joshua, they beheld the glory of God through Moses. I think God is calling in this last day a holy remnant of people that are tired of fairy tale Christianity. They're tired of just going through the motions. They're like, God, you've got to move. You've got to come. You've got to come down once more in our hearts and God awaken us that, oh sleeper, wake up and rise from the dead in Christ's glory, his light, it will shine on you. That's up to you. I know what I want. But do you want real, authentic, life-changing Christianity? So David said, one night in a pasture or in a cave, who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. Who is this King of glory? Lift up your heads that the King of glory may come in. Would you bow your hearts and heads with me this morning? Who do you say Jesus is? Who does your life say that Jesus is? Is He the King of glory in your life? Are you mesmerized by Him? Because what if the convictions you're ordering, ordering your life according to are all false and fake? What if we've been following some lesser version of Christianity and we don't even know it? And we need to wake up and see Him for who He really is. And He is coming on the clouds in glory. And we will behold Him then. But I want to behold Him right now. I want my life to be ordered correctly because I see him highly exalted. I don't want to follow a story. I want to pursue his glory.
Jesus. Father, I pray for every man, woman, boy, and girl here this morning. If they don't know you for who you are, that you are the Son of God, the Word of God who came and dwelt among us, who lived a sinless life, who died a sacrificial, atoning death on the cross for my sins, who died on that cross for me in my place and who was buried in a tomb and on the third day rose again victorious over death because it was impossible for death to hold you, that you raised up in glory, that you're seated in majesty today, making intercession for your church, and you have given us your Holy Spirit to be the people of God you've always wanted us to be. Lord, to have not a stony, hard heart, but have a heart of flesh following after you, moldable, shaped, and moved by the Holy Spirit that we can be born again and alive in Christ, that we don't have to be following some dead old religious thing of some stories that are made by the works of man, that everything that we do is by our own effort. But Lord, you are calling us to a place where we are moved and carried along by the Holy Spirit, being transformed into your image from glory to glory, that you are calling us to spiritual relationship, to spiritual awakening, to seasons of refreshing like Peter prophesied, that all who would repent and believe could receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit that's been promised through days on past. That this is the day of the church. This is the day of revival. This is the day of the great harvest, the end times harvest before the reapers come and there is a separating of the sheep and the goats and the wheat and the, t- the wheat and the tares. God, this is the day you are calling men to yourself. There is no other name by which we can be saved. There's no other time to be saved. That today is the day of salvation before you come God Lord there is an urgency in that hour and Father it's time to stop playing church it's time to start seeking your face we're about to see you would you wake up your church would you wake us up call us to yourself And we want to see you. We want to see you. To behold you. Light of the world. Jesus. Savior. Messiah. Yeshua. To know you. And to be known by you. To abide in you. Our worship team is going to lead us in this song of you. Need to get your life right with Jesus. These altars are open.